in the 38 years since the United States has won four World Cup titles and four Olympic gold medals, making it one of the most successful national teams for the Americans. Those premier teams get a lot of love, but the 85ers, as they're known, have not. It wanted to be the world governing body of the sport, and yet it didn't want to recognize women's football. This has been a long, long journey, a story with many, many chapters. And it goes back long before this last year, long before 1999. And so I think the only place to start is by recognizing the very first U.S. Women's National Team in 1985. Welcome to a new series of Flame Bears, special edition U.S. Women's Soccer Originals celebrating the first U.S. women's national soccer team. I'm your host, Jamie, and I am beyond excited to be co-hosting this season with FIFA Player of the Century, Michelle Akers. Hey, team! In this series, we'll hear from the infamous 85ers. They blazed a trail at a time when women's soccer wasn't an Olympic sport and the Women's World Cup didn't even exist. We get to celebrate these badass originals who I am so proud to call myself a teammate of. These icons you don't know yet, but we're changing that. They're players who came from all over the country, some on scholarships, others playing different college sports because women's soccer didn't even exist at the time. Setting the foundation, now the biggest event in women's soccer this summer. Their stories have never been told until now. Now let's kick it off to today's episode. I'm Ann Orson Germain, and I was a player in 1985 and 1986. Ann's parents wrote her a surprise letter of support, and we gave it to her during our recent Asheville reunion. Here she is reading it. You've done so much for women's soccer. You've done so much for your team. Um, we have something that we would love for you to read aloud. So if you can read it aloud, that would be perfect. Okay, I see what that like costs. You can make it bigger by anything oh. <laughs> you need to. And you have always put your heart and soul into whatever you do. You have team blessed. You have been blessed with many gifts and athleticism. It's only one of them. You've excelled in all aspects of soccer from playing to coaching. You give it your all. The young ladies you have coached over the years have not only learned the game of soccer, the techniques, the tech skills, but to be team players, to be respectful of each other, the officials as well as their opponents, and mainly to remember they are the representatives of their team and where they come from, wherever they go to play. We are very proud of you and how you represent our family. Much love, Mom and Dad. What was your first soccer memory, Anne? My first soccer memory, I was an athlete, all-around athlete, and... Uh, I grew up in McLean, Virginia, and we had to sign up. I decided I wanted to play soccer. Nobody in my family had played soccer before. And uh, so as a 12-year-old, I went to the firehouse to sign up to play soccer and tried out for travel soccer. And I went out and uh, sort of, tactically, I was definitely more of a midfielder, but it was sort of like I saw the opportunity to play goalkeeper and knew I could make the team if I played goalkeeper, just being an athlete. So I basically said I would step into the goal and did that, and then sort of went from there. Who were uh, the people you looked up to, like as a role model or, you know, so, or qualities of people, different people that you took and, and, and made your own? 
So in terms of soccer, Ted Cook was our first club coach and he was, uh, we called him Cookie Monster actually. He was a great guy. He had had, he actually had five kids of his own and for some reason he spent time on the soccer field with us. He had four sons and a daughter and his daughter was not on our team. So I don't know what his five kids must have felt like feeling like he was spending all of his time with us. He was a bit of X's and O's, but mostly just a guy who knew how to draw people together. And then he brought in another guy named Rick Dowden, who really was our X's and O's kind of guy. So from a technical, tactical standpoint, he definitely was a, was a big influence. And then last of all, um, Arlene Jacobs was a high school coach, and uh, she actually was the matron of honor in my wedding. But, you know, so she was older than my mother. But, uh, you know, just a, a great influence. She had been an athlete herself growing up in New York. And certainly there weren't opportunities for her like we had. Um, but yet she was, you know, a very strong woman and definitely was uh, set on helping us do anything that we wanted to do and, and showed us the way for sure. For sure. So Louise, um, I was not aware of Louise at that time, sort of. Certainly now I'm connected with Louise. As a matter of fact, we are... Uh, headed down to uh, Lula Bowers and that group. Actually, it's very funny, Susie Cobb relations. So Susie and I grew up in the same area, McLean Great Falls area. And so I had played basketball with her older sister and was the classmate of her older brother. And then my younger brother was in her class. And so they would hang out together. So throughout high school, you know, we hung out together. We played field hockey, soccer, and basketball together. Then, you know, we continued to obviously see each other quite a bit, played club ball together. You know, 86 team, we were both with the wildfire team and so continued. So then I was engaged and had a party at our house to Kip. And so we had a party at our house and Susie came over to the party as a friend of mine. And Greg, who's Kip's brother, came over to the party as his brother. And so they met so the next morning. We looked out and they, one of the cars was still there. And so anyhow. So that's the uh, the beginning of a relationship. So yeah, Susie and Greg ended up getting married. And then it's to make things even funnier, Susie's sister, Wendy, is married to my brother, Mike. So cousins on one side of the family are actually cousins to the other side of the family. It's kind of fun. And while Anne has had her own role models, she's also been a role model to many. My name is Anna Halfordy, and I grew up in Falls Church, and Angermaine was my technically first club coach throughout my whole youth soccer team, so I was with her until college. I think Anne was really critical in, in my career. She let me be who I, the player that I wanted to be, but also molded me into how I could best serve my team and I don't know, kind of like professionalized me. Like I was just a little kid running around and she kind of gave me like the woodwork to like make that something that was gonna last longer than just, you know, my youth career. Hi, this is Helen Hirschner and I'm here to share a few thoughts about my friend, Anne Germain. I got to know Anne because she started coaching my daughter at about age 11, all the way until she went to college. And I was manager of that team, so we became friends, not only with Anne, but with her entire family. Anne is an amazing person, and I have so many memories I could share with you. One in particular that is very indicative of how she ran her team is that she and Kip often took the girls in 15-passenger vans 
to her mom's house about two and a half hours away. Her parents opened our house, their house to the girls, and the girls had many great experiences, camping, hiking, and just being together away from soccer. Anne felt that team bonding was the most important thing to her. Anne, tell us about your time on the national team. Yeah, in 85, yeah, I played on the 85 team. I was fortunate enough to be invited back into the camp in 86. Um, it was rather funny that uh, then I ended up getting, we got engaged at Christmas time. And so my wedding was on June 21st. And I think I, we took about a four or five day honeymoon and we left about two days later, or I left in order to go to the camp. So everywhere on our honeymoon, I would run and my husband would drive the car. So that was our trip. We'd go to the local elementary school. We were down in the Outer Banks. We'd go to the elementary school and he'd put me through our training regimen and then we'd go on with the rest of our day. So that was 86. And then I had my first child in 87 and my second one in 88 and my third in 89. Actually, I went to the camp. It was 86 in November. I guess we had the region uh, region one, two, three, and four got together down in Florida. And so I was actually four months pregnant at that camp. So maybe I'm actually the first person that was pregnant during a national team camp. <laughs> and I guess I really didn't even let people know until I got there. And then uh, Hank Lung was actually our region one coach. And I said something to Hank. And I think he started calling me mom the rest of the weekend. But, um, you know, I think there was some discussion like, should you really be here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm perfectly fine. And, you know, four months pregnant. I had had easy pregnancies, or you know, up to that point, and there was really no reason. I felt like I shouldn't be there. So uh, anyhow, that was the beginning. The real, and then I just really didn't give it any thought. I guess I was certainly on the older edge um, when we were in camps and that sort of thing. You know, my trajectory at that point was entirely different than, say, the kids that were in college at that time. So, uh, you know, I had a full-time job already. I was working as an engineer. And so I just, you know, didn't really even attempt to get back into the scene. I continued to play, and obviously I'm still playing. But um, in terms of trying to get back to the national scene, it, uh, you know, three kids changes things in terms of your priorities. <laughs> I didn't realize you're an engineer, for one thing. Like, where, how did you um, transition, like, from college and, and the soccer and into the, into the workplace? I think, for the most part... There aren't too many things I do in life that, to some extent, doesn't go back to some sort of a soccer experience or something that a coach told me. And, you know, coach, my coaches were so much more than just coaches. They were mentors to me. And uh, I think they certainly, you know, taught you all about life, not just what the soccer field was like. I think we all start, you know, to play the game. Uh, certainly, we started to play the game because we love the game. And we continued to play the game because we love the game. And I, I think... I, I can only really talk for my parents, although I can, you know, tell you about my teammates similarly. You know, when we would go to tournaments, our parents didn't travel. You know, they put us in a van along with our coaches and we went off to this tournament and then they picked us up when we got home. And so there really wasn't, again, it was our thing. It wasn't our parents' thing. Our parents were, our club coach was not a paid coach. So our parents Yes, they invested. Obviously, they paid for our tournaments to go to or, you know, we would do. We actually, our teams would uh, have some projects where we would go rake somebody's lawn or something like that or cut grass or something like that. So we did some fundraising on our own, selling Krispy Kreme donuts. But uh, it was it was our thing. We did it because it was our thing. And, you know, coaching now um, in terms of young kids as well as getting through the ODP program and those kids, 
you know, I think in general, kids are still there because they love it, you know, and the girls are still there because they love it. But I do see a lot more parental pressure. There's a lot more parental intervention in terms of questioning and and getting involved. Um, and kids take on the art. You know, a kid could have had a great practice potentially. They get in the car and the first parent mom and dad said, or maybe they had a good game in your opinion. They get into the car and the first thing that mom and dad say is something about, oh, well, you know, oh, that you didn't score that goal or they start talking about a teammate or they start talking about that. And now the kids are no longer perhaps thinking about the game. They're thinking about how they need to think to interact with parents. Um, so so they it can change their mindset as to how they feel about situations based on what they're hearing from parents. So I think that, you know, it, it's great that parents are supporting kids and it's great that they're getting them involved. Um, but hopefully kids are still taking ownership of their own opportunities and their own games and that they're not doing things only because of pressure. You know, they announce that they've now, oh, I'm going to go here on this full ride for a scholarship. And then does their interest dwindle or do they maintain that fire and passion for the game? What was the flow of things with kids for you? So what was that like? Yeah, it's funny. I think it was the... Uh, I don't, let's see, what year would it have been? She had, had just had Katie. So Katie's born in 89, and I had a daughter born in 89 as well. So it must have been the 89, uh, you know, Women's Cup that uh, both of us were playing pregnant shortly after birth. <laughs> Actually, in 89, that my daughter was born in October, but I guess it was July, with again, with the Women's Nationals. Our goalkeepers both went on, I one went on a job interview and one got hurt or something, so... I was six months pregnant playing in the goal in the national championships that year. So I did. I continued being an engineer. Um, I worked for a firm for about 10 years, went somewhere else for a year, and then went back to that original firm. You know, I think everything that we learn on a soccer field certainly carries over. You know, and I think, you know, talking about the role of women or whatever, certainly engineers, female engineers at that time were and even even today, it's really amazing how many times you walk into a meeting and there are very few women in that meeting. So I think it's, uh, again, uh, just a, you know, you go in and you stand your ground. And I think they, I don't, I've never felt like I've been slighted in any way. I think everybody is certainly respectful, but I do think that, you know, if you didn't have a certain amount of confidence and you didn't sort of carry yourself in a certain way, there's certainly that opportunity where you easily fall out of the picture. Speaking of parents, because Anne is a mom, we wanted to speak with her kids. My name is Kim, and uh, I am her oldest daughter. My name is Kelly, and I am her youngest daughter. What is your favorite memory with your mom, if that's even possible to ask? I guess to answer then in that way of putting it, who is Anne? Um, my favorite memory is just her being at all of our soccer things. And then um, whenever she's there, she loves to get any kid involved, including when they're not interested in soccer. At so many of my soccer practices, she would get all the kids and they would go climb trees. And meanwhile, like we'd be trying not to get distracted, but like in a tree up, you know, over the fence, she would be up there with little kids or she loves to do anything kind of parkour. So anytime a ball goes over the fence, like she is beelining to the fence, jumping over it and getting the ball. So I think that was always just memories that I've heard, I have of her and just her love to be at everything and then try to get any kid involved in any way possible. Love it. So true. She's like 
uh, like a push-up contest or pull-ups or like one of my memories is um, just along the same lines, just so active and like uh, just competitive. Like my freshman year in high school, I had basketball practice. So, like, so I'm at, you know, varsity basketball practice. I'm a freshman and I like, somebody comes in and they're like, ah, uh, your mom's let, your mom's here to pick you up. She's out in the tree. I'm like, what? Like what? So I come out of basketball practice as a freshman and literally she's up in a tree just waiting for me to come out of practice. So um, she just was entertaining herself, just being active and like challenging herself. So that's a pretty funny, funny memory of her. Yeah. And along those same lines of being in a tree, she, I mean, we love to go to soccer games. They still love to go to soccer games. So last year um, during COVID, we were at one of the William & Mary soccer games and COVID, they like had a fence around the field and they wouldn't let anybody in. And so people were trying to peer through the fence. And then, of course, you know, at the 50 yard line, my mom was like, well, of course, that's the best vantage point, but you can't see anything. So meanwhile, she climbs this tree, like extremely tall tree. And the rest of us are trying to peek through this fence, looking, watching the Lloyd Mary game and seeing some of our former players that we had coached. And she's up in the tree just looking down. And she's like, well, I've got a great space to see. And so I think that's just her like soccer. She wants to be able to watch it. She wants to be able to do anything to be able to see it. And those memories just kind of crack us up. And what's changed about the game? You know, so obviously there's a lot more opportunities, which is it's totally fantastic. You know, opportunities in terms of, you know, when I was going off to college, it wasn't like, oh, well, do I want to continue to, it, I could have been a PE teacher, but it wasn't really thinking about college as a future job opportunity or something like that. Um, obviously I chose the engineering route. And part, part of that was, you know, if, did I want to have a work-life balance? And if you're into the coaching realm, does that somehow, can it potentially get into that situation where now the same thing that you enjoy doing is putting putting your dinner on your table at night? And does that change the way that you have to operate or make decisions or relate to teams? Um, or can you still continue to operate and say, no, I, fundamentally, this is what I believe. This is how I'm going to run my team. And if you guys don't like it, Sorry, we'll have to part ways and I'll find another job somewhere else. Were you able to, what, what was, where did, which side of the line did you come down on that? I imagine that's a really tough question to ask yourself. So yeah, I went the engineering route. I'm totally happy with the way that I did it. Um, I, you know, pretty much stuck to, a, I don't know, I'll call it a seven to six. It, it wasn't seven to six every day, but at least, you know, for the most part, by six o'clock, most of the time I would say, hey, I've got to get out of here because I would generally have soccer activities at the night or certainly since I had my three kids, I was either getting them to soccer opportunities or I was going to soccer myself. Um, and, and it was good. They, I was able to hold that balance and uh, it was, um, uh, you know, I don't look back at all on that decision. I think it was great. Speaking of things that have changed, we sat down with someone who knew Anne from a while back who wanted to share a funny story about Anne playing with the guys. My name is uh, Matt Baddy. I am uh, director of travel for DC Soccer Club. Um, I uh, had the pleasure of meeting Anne in 1984 after I left uh, my country. My originality is from Iran. I played for my youth national team and then after that I left Iran after the revolution and went to Germany, played a little bit there and then to United States. And when I came to US, I lived in Annandale area and I was looking to find a club to play for and somebody mentioned and says you should go ahead and uh, try with uh, Annandale Boys and the Girls Club and I did so and uh, I uh, met Kip Germain 
uh, Anne's husband. He was a coach of the team, and uh, he selected me to participate with the amateur team that he was coaching. And at that point, I believe Anne and Keith were uh, dating, and uh, needless to say, I got to know Anne. And, uh, you know, pretty much so that's it. I mean, that was a starting uh, friendship that we had. When I came to U.S., soccer was uh, predominantly was for males and very, you know, not many, let's say, female players were playing at that time. So Anne used to come in and train with us, uh, with the men's team. And uh, a lot of guys uh, with the big egos, they didn't like to get beat by a girl, I should say. Uh, <laughs> and the fantastic part was, was Anne coming in and dribbling by or, you know, uh, delivering some good, uh, strong tackles. And uh, she was one of us. Uh, and she played uh, with us. It, she's, she's a top class, absolutely top class. So I never forget that in one of the, one of the sessions, one of the guys uh, lost the ball and uh, was trying to get the ball from Anne and was trying to use his, uh, let's say, the size and, you know, being a little bit intimidating and tried to go get the ball and went to a hard, hard tackle and hit the ground, got up and played like nothing happened. And then several minutes later, um, a tackle happened on the same player. He went down and he looked like that he got hit by a truck and he's rolling on the ground and everybody's looking at her and says, Anne got hit harder and she just got up and played and like nothing was going on while this guy, it was like acting that he got hit by a truck. So that was one of the funniest thing I can remember. Helen, why is it important that people hear Anne's story? The story of Anne Germain and really all the 85ers is so important today because they played without crowds, without endorsement, without money, for the sheer love and joy of the game, which is really how all players start out. And nowadays there's so much pressure on young players. There's definitely pressure in college and in the pros that kind of sucks away some of that joy. And we need to get that back. Anne was all about joy, and she passed it on to all of her players to play for joy. Matt, what do you want to say to Anne? First and foremost, thank you. And thank you to be part of my journey as a, as a coach. I, I've been in every level of the soccer in this country, and I have seen many, many things and many, many different kind of people with, with, with the sports. There are some people that they are um, all about themselves, but there are some people that are all about giving back. And, uh, and Anne is an absolutely the kind of person that this country needs in developing the next generation of a soccer players. We are grateful to have her with us in the DC soccer uh, most importantly, unselfishly, I am so blessed to have Anne, Kimmy, Kelly, and Kip, obviously, that they take me in, they help me in when I came to this country. And uh, they, they've been part of my journey as a coach uh, throughout the last 30, 40 years. So I'm very grateful and I thank him for, uh, for being there for me. Thanks for tuning in and massive thank you to my amazing co-host, Michelle Akers. If you would like to send a letter or a video of support or appreciation to Anne, please send it to marissap at flamebearers.com. 
That's Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A, P is in Potter, at flamebears.com. If you like the stories that we're telling, please let us know by leaving a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you on our next episode.